Well, good morning, church. As Pastor Eric said a little bit earlier, my name is James DeWitt, and I'm the kids pastor here. And I am so excited to get to be with you this morning. And I just want to take a minute just to thank Pastor Ryan and Pastor Eric for letting me be able to share God's word with you this morning. It's such a privilege to be able to do that. I also want to say, if we have any guests that are here, if this is your first time, or maybe you've been visiting for a little while, I don't believe that's by accident this morning. I really believe that God has something incredible for you. So my girls are a little bit older now. I have four daughters, and and they're all in their teenage years. But when they were younger, there was this favorite moment that I had in my house whenever I would come home, right? So I'd come home from a day's work, and I would open the door, and inevitably, my daughters would rush to the front door, and they would all run to hug me and say, Daddy's home! You know, one of those great moments, right? And I loved it, because they would almost like kind of knock me down to the ground, and I'd almost be falling backwards. But every so often, I would try to sneak in, right? So I'd open the door real slightly, and then I'd kind of put it back. And it never failed, though. The minute they heard that latch to the door, they would come running. But what I would do sometimes is that I would try to evade them right? So they'd come running to the door and I'd dart off to the kitchen and they'd chase me to the kitchen and then I'd go into the living room, right? And then we would go around and around a couple of times until finally they're huffing and puffing and they would finally just say, oh, daddy. And it was in that moment when they say, oh, daddy, that my heart turns towards them and I start to chase them, right? So I start to run after them. That's the heart of God for his people, right? Like when we think that we're pursuing him, we actually find out he's been pursuing us the whole time. And this morning, I'm hoping by the end of our time together that we'll be able to better understand that overwhelming love of God by looking at four actions that Jesus takes here in Luke 19. So if you want to turn to Luke 19, that's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to start in verse run. one. Let's read this together. He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today it's necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I've exhorted anything from anyone... I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. So here's what's going on. As Jesus is continuing to make his way to Jerusalem, he's going through the town of Jericho. Now, you might remember from a few weeks ago as we talked about the blind man Bartimaeus, Jesus heals him just outside of Jericho. And so what's going on is the crowd is gathering around Jesus because they're waiting to see what's he going to do next. And so Zacchaeus, this townsman, he's heard all of this buzz about Jesus. And so he wants to get a glimpse of what's going on. There's only one problem. 
He's short. He can't see over the people. Now, you may be saying, okay, well, surely the people will be nice, right? Surely the people will, you know, you know how it is when you're at a parade and a kid comes kind of tugging on your shirt and they say, hey, can I get through so I can see the parade? And you're like, oh, of course, of course, going through, you know? So you're thinking, oh, maybe the people will be compassionate to him because of his vertical challengedness, all right? But, but there's something else going on here. Look back in verse two because it tells us exactly what's going on. Look at it. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. See, Zacchaeus can't get through the crowd of the people because they know exactly who he is. And they despise him. They can't stand him. The Jews hated tax collectors so much that the Jewish Midrash, which is a commentary on the law, actually said, it's okay to lie to a tax collector. It's almost like they're not people, right? It's okay to lie to them. That's how bad it was. And if that wasn't bad enough, there's another little adjective used here that we have to be able to see because this is going to make it even worse. So look back there in verse 2. And he was rich. Okay, so let me explain what's going on here, all right? So when the Roman government would come in and they would basically take over a people group or a nation, what they would do is instead of bringing in their own Roman officials to actually take up and collect taxes, they would use people from that nation that were maybe, you know, good at math and being able to, to count things well. They would use them to do that. And so that's what Zacchaeus is. Zacchaeus has been used by the Roman people. But there's a problem. This is what a lot of tax collectors would do in that day. That they would actually ask for more than what the Roman government was wanting from people. They would ask for a little bit more, and so then they would skim off the top, and they'd pocket that extra and give the Roman government what was due to them in taxes. So this is most likely what's going on with Zacchaeus. So even though the people know exactly who he is, they consider him almost worse than the Romans. He's an enemy to them because, hey, you're my own people. And you're skimming off the top and pocketing my money. So while Zacchaeus is well known in the city, he's definitely not well liked. So when he's trying to get through he knows exactly he's not going to try to push through the crowd. He's not going to try to get himself through that crowd because he knows exactly what's going to happen. The minute he tries to do that, they're going to look back at him, see who it is, and they're going to push him away. And they're going to say, this prophet, Jesus has no time for someone like you. Pushes him away. So, that didn't stop Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, even though he's despised in the town, he feels excluded from his people. And he's probably one of the wealthiest people in town. Meaning, does he really need anything from Jesus? Probably not. But there's something inside of him that wants so badly to see Jesus that he's willing to disgrace himself even more. He climbs up in a sycamore tree. All this would have done would be accentuate the fact that he is vertically challenged. So everybody seeing that would have been like, he looks like a kid up there. But what Jesus is about to do is not only going to shock Zacchaeus, it's going to shock the crowd. 
Because Jesus is about to tell Zacchaeus, hey, you think you have been pursuing me, but the truth is, I have been pursuing you all along. So let's look at the text. Look back in verse 5 with me. When Jesus came to the place. Now remember, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And this is most likely the last two weeks of of Jesus' life. And that last week, he has a ton of things that are going to go on, right? He has triumphal entry, where people are going to lay down their palm branches and their coats as he rides in on the donkey. He's going to go to the temple and he's going to clear it, talking about God's house being a house of prayer and worship. He's going to have the Last Supper that he's going to initiate with the disciples. He's going to go to the garden to pray. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be tried. He's going to be convicted. He's going to die. There are so many important things that Jesus has going on. But Jesus stops for Zacchaeus. Because that's what the love of Jesus does. It stops. Now, I don't know if you've seen these before, but we use these quite frequently in children's ministry. Okay? I like to call it the spot. All right? And here's what we do with it. We will throw it on the ground, and when we have a lot of people, a lot of kids that are with us in the morning, and it's kind of chaotic, and they're just going around like crazy, we say, hey, that yellow spot right there, that's your spot. You go stand on it. All right? And the kids come and stand on it most of the time. They'll come and stand on it. I wonder how many of us this morning are missing our spot. See, Jesus knew that that moment was his spot. He knew that's where he needed to be. Right there at that place was Zacchaeus. But how many of us are missing our spot? A couple of weeks ago, actually Super Bowl Sunday, um, I was driving home with uh, a few of my daughters. Uh, we had gotten some Sonic for, for lunch, and we're coming home, and, and I was starving because I had not had breakfast. And so we pull into the driveway, and I see that our neighbor, who is, is now renting out his house, was there doing some yard work. And so he waves at me. He's like, Hey! And in that moment, I had to make a choice. Right? I'm hungry. I want some burger. I could have gone in, had my burger, gotten everything ready for Super Bowl Sunday, because we had people coming over, gotten everything ready for Super Bowl Sunday. But instead, I chose to go across the street and to talk to him for a few minutes about his family and catch up with what was going on. See, Jesus knew That was his spot. That was where he was supposed to be. All it took for me was just to slow down and to stop for my neighbor. Let's keep on going. So let's look back at the text again here in verse 5. Let's see what he does next. He says, it says, he looked up and spoke. So Jesus looks up into the tree and he connects eyes with Zacchaeus. He looks straight at him. And I don't think this is by coincidence. I think Jesus is telling Zacchaeus something as he looks at him. Before he even speaks, I think he's trying to say something. He's saying, I see you, Zacchaeus. I see you. Zacchaeus, 
I know what people think about you. I know what you even think about yourself. But that's what Jesus loves does. It sees people. I don't know if you happened to catch this commercial a few weeks ago during the Super Bowl, but there was this campaign that's been going around called He Gets Us. Did you see this? Um, and there's a couple little dull spots with different kind of um, scenarios and experiences that people have. Uh, but at the end, it says, he gets us. And in the office that week, it was kind of like the buzz of conversation for us because we were all kind of like, well, who's the one supporting it? Is this a church that's doing it? Is it a, a particular individual? You know? And I kind of just wondered to myself, you know, maybe they're not trying to be known. Maybe what they're trying to do is they're trying to do exactly what Jesus does without saying anything at all to Zacchaeus. I get you. I see you. Because see, Jesus knows absolutely everything about your neighbor, about your family, about your friends. He knows all their pain. He knows all their needs. He hasn't missed it. See, he knows. But what about us? What about you? Do you see your neighbor's pain? Do you see what they're going through? As I was reading through this passage, I was wondering if this might have been the very first time that Zacchaeus was seen by someone without feeling condemnation. So many people know John 3.16. Probably one of the most famous passages in all of the Bible. We see it in football stadiums, on football stars all the time. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Yet so few people know the following verse. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. See, Jesus didn't come to condemn the lost. Let me just say that again. Jesus didn't come to condemn the lost. And if he didn't come to condemn them, then neither should we. I'm always marveled at Jesus' careful, the careful consideration that Jesus takes in his words and every interaction that he has. And I love this one with Zacchaeus because when he looks up at Zacchaeus, the first thing that Jesus says to Zacchaeus is to call him by name. Now that may seem minimal to you. May seem like nothing. But at that time, in Jewish culture, names were everything. They really believed that that name meant what you were going to be for life. It was setting you up for your future and who you were. Do you know what Zacchaeus means? Pure one. <laughs> to everyone surrounding that scene, when they hear Jesus say that, they would have thought, are you joking with me? Are you kidding? Jesus, do you, you obviously don't know this guy because this, this guy is anything but pure. 
I mean, because of this guy, I actually had to go and find another job to take care of my family because of the money that he's been taking out of my pocket. Jesus, you don't know this guy because if you knew this guy, you see what he spends his money on? Do you know what he spends his money on? Yes. Yes, he does. And that's the point. There's this beautiful word in Christian theology. It comes straight from Romans 5. The word is justified. It's the idea that what Jesus did on the cross by dying for our sin has actually made me right with God. It's a legal term that indicated the verdict of a judge when they were deliberating the guilt of an individual. To be justified meant to be declared righteous. To be declared not guilty. Our faith in what Christ has done on the cross is what justifies us. God literally holds us not guilty and he declares us righteous. Jesus declared Zacchaeus pure. And it wasn't because that's who Zacchaeus had been. But it was because of this interaction, this moment that he's having with Jesus. And the truth is, that's exactly what every person in this room, every person in this city, every person in this world needs. They need an encounter with Jesus where he says over them, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you think about yourself. Because of this encounter with me, I am calling you pure, forgiven, and loved. Jesus' words are going to turn into a meal and eventually time at Zacchaeus' house. Because Jesus didn't just want a conversation. He wanted a connection. You know, growing up in the church, I can still remember evangelism, um, kind of te- teaching, uh, evangelism teachings uh, where we'd have somebody come in and they would kind of give you like a, a three-step process for how you can share your faith with your friends. And it, it usually would you know, be a series of questions and it would kind of ultimately culminate with this one big question of, hey, now that you have this information, what are you going to do? What are you going to decide? And I, and I don't mean to diminish any of that, because it's all really good stuff, and specifically whenever I was helping people to understand how to share their faith. But what if God this morning wants us to do more than just share our faith? What if he really wants us to share our lives with the people that are around us? Because that's what Jesus is doing here. He's asking Zacchaeus to share life with him. And that's the third action that we see from Jesus' love, is that it shares Now, in first century culture, there was absolutely nothing more intimate that you could do than to have a meal with someone. It meant acceptance and inclusion. Listen to how author James Dunn describes eating a meal together during this time. Table fellowship functioned as a social boundary, indicating both who was inside the boundary and who was outside. 
for the entire month of February. We spent time alongside other churches here in the Katy area praying for our neighbors. We, as Kingsland, we asked you to pray for your seven. Who are the seven families that you're going to be praying for? In fact, you got like a little card that kind of looked a little bit like this whenever we did the Awaken campaign. This was on the back of the Awaken campaign so that you could write in your seven people that you were praying for, right? And it would be so easy for us to stop there. Hey, I've prayed for them. I'm asking them to come to the Lord. What if God's asking more of you today? What if you take this card that you got when you came in and you continue to pray for those people? Maybe you need to break it up as a family. We prayed for seven people in our family that were for all of our family to pray for. Maybe you need to do it individually. Maybe each person in your family has seven people that you're praying for. You write their names on here. But instead of just praying for them, what if you decided, I'm going to share my life with them? Instead of them being on the outside, I'm going to invite them on the inside, both of my home and of my life. The last action of Jesus' love is, is honestly something that we can't imitate. It's a work that only God can do because Jesus alone saves. Look with me back at verse 10. Jesus tells us what this whole interaction has been about. The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. See, this was Jesus' entire mission. It was his reason for coming, not just to Jericho, not just to Zacchaeus, but to the world. He came to pursue the lost and save them. One of my favorite worship songs is a song called Reckless Love. Love for you to listen to the chorus with me as I, as I say this. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. And I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, Reckless love of God. Some of you in this room, you have never felt that love before. You, don't, you haven't felt pursued. You haven't felt wanted. Truth is, you came in with some stuff today that you thought, man, this condemns me. There's no way. People can't love me with this. And Jesus is saying, I want to share in relationship with with you. Others in the room, you understand that love. You've felt it, you've experienced it, you know it. But this morning, you're recognizing that Jesus is telling you that he wants you to love people the way that he loves people. And the question that I want to leave you with is will you pursue them like he has pursued you. This morning, if God's dealing with you, if there's something that you need prayer for, something that you need to talk with someone, we're going to be down here at the front. We invite you to come as I pray. Let's pray together. Father God, this morning we recognize 
that your love is overwhelming. Your love doesn't care what we've done in the past. Your love doesn't care who we think we are in ourselves. And your love, especially, includes us. It doesn't let us be on the outside. So Father, this morning, would you continue to show us that incredible and overwhelming love? God, would you bring us closer to that fathering heart of who you are? And help us to pursue others the way that you've pursued us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Pastor Ryan Rush here, and I just want to thank you for being with us at Kingston Online today. What an honor. But I'll tell you what would be even better. We'd love to see you get connected with the physical church in the days ahead, if you haven't already. And that means maybe if you're local in the West Houston area, we'd love to see you at Kingsland. Otherwise, regardless, we'd love to help you facilitate uh, jumping into a local church near you, and we can do that together. You can go to kingsland.org slash online connect. kingsland.org slash online connect to find out next steps on your journey. Listen, thanks again for being with us today at Kingsland Online.